Hey, welcome back again to uh, the Gary Wilkerson podcast. Uh, we were with Dr. Fred Sanders last week, and we're back with him here in the studios again and uh, talking about the Trinity and particularly the uh, Holy Spirit's uh, part of the Trinity, the aspect of the Trinity. Fred, thank you for joining us once again this week. And um, let's dig right in. Um, you are writing a book now uh, for Crossway on, um, on the Holy Spirit. Do you have a title for it yet? Yeah, it's in a series, uh, Short Studies in Systematic Theology. So the title is The, um, uh, the Holy Spirit, an Introduction. Okay. And I am taking that pretty seriously, the, the sort of cheekiness of introducing the Holy Spirit to Christian <laughs> readers. <laughs> um, trying to make the most of that and say, well, theologically, you know, as, a, as someone who writes about doctrine and spirituality, um, I am introducing the Spirit. But of course, any believer already uh, is, uh, knows the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 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 And then um, is that written more? I noticed you know, some of your books, uh, you're, 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 the depth of them are slightly different. Um, you're, uh, the triune God is, is more academic, I think, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. This is written at a more uh, popular level, like uh, deep things of God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I usually don't even mention in settings like this, my, my extremely academic books that are, you know, um, there's, a, there's an early book based on my dissertation called The Image of the Imminent Trinity. Wow. Um, and, uh, you know, some of it has to do with the complexity. Uh, when I write at different levels, a lot of it has to do with who you're, who you're talking with as much as who you're talking to. So um, in the more academic books, I'm going to footnote major 20th century theologians, you know, Ponenberg and Moltmann and Rahner and Bart and things like that. Um, that'll all be in the footnotes. That's who I'm engaging. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you haven't read any of those people, then my account, my interaction with them isn't going to matter. So in things like deep things of God or, or in this book, um, I, I won't be footnoting, you know, yeah. big academic theologians like that. No. Well, just before we get in back into the, talking about the Holy Spirit, the, you know, the book, uh, the, the deep things of God is, uh, I, I love, I love the level you wrote it at because it's, it's, uh, it's challenging. Like for me as a, a historically a pastor, um, you know, it brought new insight, but it wasn't so, you know, I, I didn't. I didn't have to know. You know, all the nuances of, of the deeper things of theology to know the deeper things of God. So, glad, yeah. glad you wrote that book. And, and well, in terms of who I was talking about there, that was one of the one of the tricks. One of the things I tried to do in that book is quote people lots of people had heard of, but might not think of them as Trinitarian teachers, right? So mm-hmm. I would just go through and like Billy Graham, Oswald Chambers, you know, <laughs> Nikki Cruz, you name it. I'm uh, Amanda Amanda Smith. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to like tap into all of those and quote Pentecostals and Puritans and, and mm-hmm. Protestants and popular Bible teachers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think even uh, lay people, we can, um, we can glean some, you know, uh, like after reading your book, I, I went and got a couple others and Salomon, Augustine and stuff. And, and I, I read them and I was surprised I could actually grasp it. It was like, okay, there's some stuff here I've never heard before. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad I'm reading this now. You know, if, you know, you probably get something off to every page as you're reading it. I, I read about nine pages and have no idea what he's talking about. And then page 10 explodes off the, and it just, my heart begins to leap like, oh, I want to know God that way. That's so exciting. Yeah. It's worth, it's worth the work, even for those of us that aren't living, you know, in the, in the academic world. But uh, yeah, so with the Holy Spirit now, um, you're, 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 you mentioned last week, you're kind of take, you have two different looks. Uh, one is that the Holy Spirit's always been there, even though, like for instance, the Gospel of John, he kind of shows up in name a little later, but he's always been working, and that was that's one aspect of, of what you're writing. And the second one was, can you can you just cover that one more time before we 
one. Yeah, the other thing that I think as a as a writer, as an explainer, I think I can be helpful with is to put the doctrine of the Holy Spirit clearly in the context of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so that when you when you get confused or when things aren't quite tracking right, you can say, wait, what do I know that I know? Okay, I know that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God. The Father is not the Son, but the Father is God and the Son is God. You can kind of put the Spirit in that um, matrix. Uh, I think I'm gesturing because in my mind, if I, if I had a whiteboard, I would be drawing a triangle, right? I would be writing God in the middle of the triangle as the, what, the divine essence, you know, mm-hmm. that by which God is God. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Father, Son, and Spirit, um, um, not separate people, but distinct and in relation to each other. Yeah. And one of the nice things about that, of course, every time I draw the triangle, I turn around and say, this is not God. This is a diagram of some logical relations that help us think about who God is. Yeah. Um, um, it's, it's one of the nice things about the triangle is you can't know one of the persons without reference to the other persons. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the, this is one of the many differences between human people and the one God in three persons is um you can't even say who the son is without saying he's the son of the father, mm. you know, which is, it's just, that's just not how it is with us. We're more separable. Right. Um, you know, my dad was Fred. I'm Fred. My son is Fred. I sometimes use Fred, you know, three Fred illustrations to show how that's not like the Trinity. Cause mm. you can get to know, you get to know my dad and not know me. Then later on I come along and you can say, Oh, now I will add to these two Freds. I know the relation between them. You know, this is, this is Fred and this is Fred of Fred. That's just not how it is with the three persons of the Trinity. You, you can't call God, the father, the father, unless you're calling him the father of the son. Mm-hmm. Right. Now the spirit's the same way, but it's, um, it's not as clear in the words that the Bible gives us. Here's what I mean by that. Father and son are obviously relational terms, right? If you say father, I'm going to say father of who? Right. And if you say son, it's an open, it's a term that is open towards the relation. You've got to specify. It invites the specification. The biblically given name, the divinely revealed name, Holy Spirit, is not open or relational in that same way, right? It doesn't, when I say Holy Spirit, you don't necessarily think Holy Spirit of who? Right. right? Yeah. In the same way you do with son and father. Yeah, you get the word proceeds from, but that doesn't have that same kind of relational connection uh, the intimacy that a father and son has, but yeah, but, but my mind proceeds, that, yeah, good. that's where my mind goes to. He's a proceeding one or a sent one uh, f- from that. So I don't know if that kind of gives him some personhood, maybe. Yeah, and it gives you that relationality, right? So in John fourteen, when it says, "I will," when Jesus says, "I will send the Spirit who proceeds from the Father," um, yeah, well, proceeds obviously that's got a direction and a relation, and you've got to add from the Father there so that you know. Um, yeah, but my point is just that the name Holy Spirit, the Spirit is just as relational as the Father and the Son. You can't know the Spirit without knowing how he, he's related to Father and Son. But the name doesn't push you in that direction. Mm-hmm. And so that's one reason I think the, a book like I'm writing is helpful is that it, it makes explicit what is not explicit in the biblically revealed name. Yeah. I'm not improving the Bible, obviously. I, <laughs> I don't, I, when, when Jesus says in Matthew 28, baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I say, the name Holy Spirit is not obviously relational. Clearly, I'm not criticizing Jesus. <laughs> and, and I don't have a better idea for how to improve on what the Lord tells us there about the name of God. 
Um, But as a theologian, my job is to make sure we understand and are clear about it. So it's that, it's that relationality that you can't know the spirit without knowing how he stands in relation to the father and the son that I'm trying to improve the odds on. And I'm catching your drift there on how he stands in relationship to the father and the son switching gears a little bit. How does he uh, stand in relationship to humanity, to us? Uh, And so is it, is it, is it somewhat, even though the father, son and spirit are all one, is there a different manifestation? Does he affect us differently than, than the father of the son does? Yeah, well, the spirit um, is, I was going to say in the New Testament, but I think throughout the Bible, the spirit of God is the um, immediate agent of indwelling. So um, the spirit is the one who is in us, right? Or who is, um, you know, in the, in the, the glory of God in the tabernacle, the, uh, the indwelling glory. Um, that's, that's the spirit of God. Um, and then, of course, after Pentecost, it's clear. We get very clear biblical language about the spirit dwelling in our hearts. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so you have the indwelling. You have the, um, you know, the passage where he convicts of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Is, is that, is that a, are we talking about roles here in a sense? Is that the right word to use uh, in, in when you're trying to distinguish certain things in the Trinity? Can, can you use the word roles? And yeah, so- you can use the word roles. Um, it's uh, especially if you, if you know that the roles don't explain why father, son, and spirit are distinct from each other, right? They're, they're godness w- within the eternal relation of the Trinity. Even if they weren't doing anything towards us, if they were not playing any roles towards us, they would be distinct. They would, they would be able to tell each other apart, right? Father and son and spirit, the one God. Um, and then the other thing about roles language is um, there's this great doctrine uh, of, uh, called inseparable operations. Um, it, it's, it's, the, it's the teaching that uh, the Father, Son, and Spirit, that any action of the Trinity outward involves all three persons of the Trinity. Okay. Um, and, and that when we, I, when we name one of those actions and identify it with a person of the Trinity, we're doing that sort of by divinely guided appropriation, because it teaches us something about that person. Mm-hmm. So, um, for instance, the thing about this doctrine is it's not in any one verse. The, the, the beauty of this doctrine is you kind of have to collect three verses at a time in order to demonstrate it. Um, so, you know, you say the father, um, I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth. Um, does that mean that the father made heaven and earth? Well, yes, it does. And I can go through and, you know, um, show you that from scripture, but does that mean that the son did not make heaven and earth? And that's, where we have to say, oh, no, wait a minute. Now I can go through and go to Colossians and Hebrews and places where I can demonstrate to you that the son also is the one through whom everything was made. And then I can do the same thing with the, the spirit, right? Going all the way back to Genesis one, where the spirit's there on the face of the deep, all the way through it, we can talk about the creator spirit. So when we're saying it's like in the creed or in the Bible verses that are about the father, what do we mean by saying the father is the maker? When we say it, we're not excluding the son and the spirit, um, but we're appropriating creation to the father because it shows us something about who the father is, that he's the source. Like within the Trinity, he's the source of the son and spirit. And so it's um, educational for us. It's appropriate for us to pick him out as the maker, though it's, it's crucial to say it's non-exclusive. We're not excluding the son and spirit from that. Mm-hmm. So the same with indwelling. Um, I'll just go ahead and say, I think it's the clear teaching of scripture that the spirit is the proper <coughs> of indwelling. The spirit's the one who, you know, 
takes up residence within us as a principle, an indwelling principle of new life. Mm-hmm. Does that mean Jesus does not indwell? Well, no. I mean, you got the flannel graphs where Jesus knocks on the door of your heart and wants to come in. The flannel graphs are not lying. Those, those are true. Um, you know, um, in, in, we could look to several Bible verses about that. Um, Christ dwelling in me, right? Um, uh, Ephesians 3 is a prayer for Christ not only to um, be with us, but to really make himself at home in us by the power of the Spirit. And of course, one place in John, Jesus says, um, uh, whoever follows me, the, the father and I uh, will come and dwell with him. Right? Mm-hmm. So there's even a sense in which the father does this. But we would say that it's the, sp- the spirit is the proper agent of that. And because the spirit is in us and is never, dif- uh, never uh, separate from the father and the son, they also indwell. Mm. Is it, you're helping me with my own language of the Trinity. Would it be proper also then to say one of them, even though they're all three indwelling us, is one of them taking the lead? Is that? Yeah, I think the lead is a good way to put it. And and you can learn something from their working, from their undivided working towards us. Um, You can learn something about their eternal um, personal distinctions from each other. Yeah. yeah. So the spirit is from the father and the son and to have the spirit is to be brought into that fellowship of the father and the son. So, you know, when the spirit, um, this is Galatians language and, and uh, Romans language, when the spirit in us cries out, Abba, father, like notice what's going on in there. Like we're the ones saying Abba, father, we're saying it because the spirit is saying it in us. And by saying Abba, father to God, Notice that we're getting both the father and the son there, Mm -hmm. because we're not just calling God my father. We're calling him the father of the son and therefore my father. Yeah. Right. And and we we can um, we can distinguish those roles. We talked about roles a minute ago ourselves Uh, while we're distinguishing those roles. Does the Trinity itself distinguish those roles like the father going, oh, look, um, the Holy Spirit has just. Uh, indwelt Gary, uh, or he just convicted Gary of sin. Is, wasn't that a good job? Or is it just, are they so one that they just kind of go like, okay, you know, yeah, of course we indwelt him. Of course we convicted him. Uh, within the Trinity itself, is there, do they understand their distinctions, do you think? Yeah, no, I, th- I think this really does have a ground in the distinctions within God. Uh-huh. Okay. So that it's an undivided action, like God is convicting you of sin. And I think loosely speaking the language you used of the spirit takes the lead okay um, that's not language we made up that's biblical language right oh. um that that the spirit convicts yeah yeah okay um various churches you mentioned your pentecostal background uh, i have this the same as well um you know it, I, I don't know if your study is taking you into you know particular denominational <clears throat> views of the holy spirit because they are very distinct aren't they I mean, you've got a cessationist that uh, I'm not quite sure, how, you know, you know I, I know they, they can still give certain <clears throat> attributes to the Holy Spirit. Uh, to me, it might take, maybe take away, takes away some of them, uh, whereas then, then, then you have on the whole other end of the spectrum of the of, uh, paradigm of uh, sort of the Holy Spirit is almost everything in the church. It's like you know, we <laughs> yeah. sing to the Holy Spirit, we pray to the Holy Spirit, we we worship the Holy Spirit, but, you know, Jesus and the Father seem to be more distant. In your study here recently, in the book you're writing, are you tackling that issue at all? 
Not not closely. Um, I'm trying to stay uh, not engage the sort of denominational differences. Um, there are there are a couple of elements there. Sort of the gap between our doctrine of the spirit and our experience of the spirit. And when I say gap, what I mean is um, there are things that we know to be true from scripture, and that I, as a systematic theologian, you know, engaging in biblical interpretation, um, I can teach about these things. Um, and then there's experience of the Holy Spirit, which someone who's maybe not uh, has not studied the doctrine very much um, can have deep experiences of the Spirit. And so, like in most ways as a theologian, the great danger is that I'm going to have to teach things that I know to be true, but they're not experientially grounded in my life. Now, at the, at the radical extreme, that would be like I would be a hypocrite because I'm just teaching about stuff I read in a book and I, it has no ground in my life. It has no ground, no point of contact in my life. That would be spiritually dangerous. But uh, but beyond that threshold, it's just sort of part of the occupational hazard of a Bible teacher or a theologian. Of course, you're going to be saying things you know to be true that you haven't experienced, you know, all the way down. So I think we have an experience of the spirit and then there's a doctrine of the spirit. Um, and and I, I try to help kind of untangle those. So, I mean, maybe one illustration is I've been in worship situations where someone would say, well, I really felt the spirit now. Right. And then someone else would say, I feel like Jesus is here. Right. And as a theologian, I'm thinking like, wow, okay. The, the son is not the spirit. Um, God is present in this moment and we are experiencing and feeling that we're registering that. But I also want to say, I don't think, I don't think even the most spiritually sensitive believer having a profound experience in worship actually has like a little monitor in their heart by which they can detect <laughs> whether it was the son or whether it was the spirit. Right? Right. Now we can have a meaningful conversation about whether we should say Jesus is here or I felt the presence of the spirit. Um, but what we're talking about there is doctrine and not some sort of amazing sensitivity by which we could, in our own experience, distinguish the two. Yeah, yeah, you know that I, I agree 100. And yet, I, I do see. I'm not pushing back at all. I'm 100 the same, 100 on the same page as you. But there does seem to be some sense of like, um, you know, I, I very rarely say like I had this experience. I really got filled with the Father. <laughs> but, but I might have say, man, I had this prayer retreat, and I just I really came away just with a sense of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course, that's experiential, but in a sense, it's doctrinal as well, uh, because that has to come out of a doctrine. That's uh, right. Has to come out of a reality of, uh, you know, and so the Holy Spirit, this idea of the uh, baptism or the the infilling. Uh, do you do you do you look into those issues as much as you're studying the Holy Spirit? Yeah, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, and I think you're right. When we have an, when Christians have experiences, um, they're they're always in some way tutored, right? They've they're guided by biblical language and by our community's pattern of usage, which I hope is based at some remove on biblical language. And that's why you wouldn't say like, you know, the father poured himself into my heart. Right. You don't have to be a Bible scholar to kind of register the fact that like, oh, that's not, that's <laughs> not a Bible way of talking. That was a weird, that was kind of a strange <laughs> sentence you said there. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I just don't think there's such a thing as like sheer, raw, uninterpreted spiritual experience, you know, that someone tries to find. As soon as you begin trying to explain what you felt and experienced, you're going to be drawing on the community's terminology. You're going to be saying scripture things. 
it's always it's always kind of interpreted and tutored and taught in some way. Right. Yeah. There's one thing um, coming out of my my own, you know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church and had quite a bit of um, charismatic interaction up through college. Um, um, and of course, there's this doctrine of subsequence, right, of the filling of the spirit or the baptism of the spirit or the initial baptism in the Holy Spirit accompanied with signs, how this plays out in different denominations and traditions. Um, my own upbringing was in Foursquare Church, which is kind of an old line Pentecostal church, which, you know, would talk about initial spirit baptism with accompanying signs. And so you have this doctrine of subsequence, which is kind of two stages, right? Like there's Christians and then there's spirit filled Christians. Um, so you can ask those questions, you know, from the book of Acts. Have you, did, did you receive since you believed? Mm -hmm. um, and the kind of two step um, approach to Christian maturity there. Yeah. Now, I want to say doctrinal or um, experientially speaking, there's such a thing as immature Christians who haven't fully recognized um, or had some deeper experiences yet. And then there are much more mature Christians. That's a real thing in the mm -hmm. Christian church. And so we need language for that. And we need a good theological accounting for that. But I do have a little bit, just speaking autobiographically and kind of how this enters into my theological work, I think, I do have an allergy against the kind of strong subsequence doctrine which, which really says these people over here are Christian, but they need a whole other expansion pack where they meet the Holy Spirit. Because mm -hmm. the other side of the biblical evidence is Paul saying something like, if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. And so whatever you may, you know, I, I don't want to go into old line Pentecostal churches and say, you have to stop teaching this thing about a subsequent experience. There's a different thing going on there. My my territory, my ground is to say, you can't teach about Christian conversion in such a way that you pretend the spirit is not involved, right? Because if you don't have the spirit of Christ, you don't belong to Christ. If somebody's born again, they are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. You know, they may, of course, need subsequent teaching of the spirit uh, about the spirit. They may, of course, need um, subsequent experiences where they come to a real encounter with the reality of the spirit. Um, but I refuse to let the spirit be locked out of the event of Christian conversion. Amen. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's so true. You, you, otherwise, you you sort of uh, have this really bizarre, you know, I, I, I got saved and two thirds of the Holy uh, two thirds of the Trinity have come into my life. And now I'm looking for that third part. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. That third part. Experientially, you may later come to understand more about the spirit. But what happens is your eyes are opened to the fullness of what was happening in the first part. Yeah. Yeah. That's for me. That's the whole package. That's where the unity of it really comes in. Yeah. And I think to some degree, that's, you know, the difference, you know, subsequent to the book of Acts, uh, Pentecost and maybe the old Testament Holy spirit, you know, you seem to get more you know, like Saul, the spirit came upon him and he prophesied, you know, there seems to be these visitations of the Holy spirit. Uh, where, and although even the old Testament, I think there are some habitation of the Holy spirit, Obviously, uh, King David seemed to walk in the spirit. To, you know, as I read his life, even though he had a lot of sin in his life, but in the New Testament, like in our church today, it seems like we're we, we're kind of wanting to go back to the Old Testament. We, we want the visitations, you know, like he's he's habitating in us, and we're looking for this, you know, like come and give us another supernatural revival or visitation, you know. And for for, for me, I know we don't know, know each other well, but but my take on it is, you know, that the Holy Spirit is living and dynamic in you and yeah. that 
you don't have to really run around the country to some <laughs> so-called revival to get, you know, what God has for you. It could be, could be beneficial to you. You know, it could start your faith, uh, could learn, you know, get some new teaching. But uh, I do think yeah. the Holy Spirit is, as you're saying, he's present in us from salvation on as a habitation, the indwelling, uh, you said earlier, the indwelling of the Holy yeah. Spirit. That's, yeah, and it's also I, I think the other the other way this shows up as either healthy or unhealthy is um, the question of whether the Holy Spirit wants you to turn your attention from Jesus and begin to focus on the Holy Spirit, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking about emphasis like making too much of the Holy Spirit or not making enough. Those are all you can make too much of the Spirit. You can make too little of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the object of your attention when you are focusing on Jesus Christ as a revelation of God the Father. Right? When you are when you are knowing Christ and knowing God in Christ, you are in the spirit. The spirit is operative within you. Um, and the spirit is not saying, gee, I wish, I wish that person would take their eyes off Jesus and look at me instead for a while. Right. right. Um, so without neglecting to attend to what we know about the Holy spirit, there's got to be some way where it's in line, you know, where it's um, instead of a second object of faith, that's sort of the, that's a kind of theological subsequence that I am absolutely opposed to. The idea that the spirit is a different object of faith to which you have to turn your attention. Mm. There's got to be a way that it's happening in line in the encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, we can become more aware of the presence and power and person of the spirit in our uh, saving relation to Christ. Yes. But I really don't want us to turn our attention to this other person. Right. And right. I think there's a lot of unhealthy teaching out there, which is like, Sure, you heard about Jesus, but now let me give you this add-on module where we focus our attention on the person of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, because of that Trinitarian matrix of what we believe about the Spirit, to know more about the Spirit is going to be to know more about the Son, even though they're not each other. Right. The Spirit yeah. seems to be uh, living to exalt uh, the Son and the Father, too, to some degree. I think the Father uh, seems to exist to, to bring you know everything uh, into the sun, uh, not not that they're one is more important than the other in the Trinity, obviously, but there are, they do seem to point to each other in this very other centered way, which I think is, if, if we could, if we could mirror that in the church, we'd be uh, better off for it rather than having our sext, you know, who who are divided this side, you know, we're, we're all Holy Spirit or you know, we're, you know, we're father, son, and Bible, uh, but not, <laughs> and so I think it's, I think the study you're doing is, is, is important in the day we live in so that it's not, as you said, overemphasized or de-emphasized to the point of, uh, of neglect. And, you know, I, 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 you know, I think there's a, there is a point in the place to study the Holy Spirit, you know, because there's so many scriptures about him and what he does and how he works, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, you know, those, yeah. Again, the Father's not the Son, and the Holy Spirit's not the Son, and so yeah. that, that's why they distinguish this. They don't call them the you know the fruits of the Father; <laughs> you know, they call it the fruits of the Spirit. And so there's something happening, obviously, in in each three of these particular persons that, and you know, the Holy Spirit does seem to take on this this role of um, of gifting and of fruit, uh, encouragement of the you know the fruit of the Spirit and things like that. So yeah, and and by the way, that is. Um, this is a whole other subject, but one of the things, one of the beautiful things about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit is you were just starting into a list there of the work of the Spirit and the offices of the Spirit. Um, pneumatology, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, it just takes the form of lists. 
It, it does in the Bible, and it does when we try to talk about it theologically. We, you know, when we talk about the work of Christ, the Son, there's a real focus. Like, there's this main thing the Son does. You know, it's it's salvation. Now, there's an order of salvation within that that we can unpack. There is a list we can get to, but this is a clear focus of the work of the Son. The Spirit is sort of everywhere. Like, once you begin focusing on the work of the Spirit, you necessarily fall into a wonderful list. Um, which I think it's great. You know, to me, that's a value add. That's a feature, not a bug, as uh, programmers <laughs> would say. <laughs> um, but it can also it can also explain why some Christians always feel a little bit scattered about the doctrine of the Spirit. Like, what's the one thing the Holy Spirit does? It's like, if you ask me, what's the one thing the Son does? I could probably give you an answer. Like, I would feel in my mind, like, oh, I'm kind of leaving a couple things out, but like, mainly He becomes incarnate and dies for us to reconcile us to God. Um, and I might feel like, oh, I should have mentioned the resurrection, but it is kind of like one thing he does. Yeah. Um, whereas the spirit, you say, well, he he regenerates you, but also opens the eyes of your heart to know what he has done. But also, and then, you know, you're just going to get into a wonderful list of the works of the spirit. That's the shape of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I think it's a good shape. It is a good shape. Yeah, it's well worth your time to study and well worth your writing on that. And uh, I'm looking forward to I know it'll be a while before the book's out, but I'm, I'm excited to, to read that. I, I'll, I'll make sure I get a copy real quickly. Um, I'm going to shift gears here a little bit in the last few minutes we have together. And I, I haven't prepped you on this question, so if, if we don't want to talk about it, that's fine. We can, we can uh, pass. But, um, you know, in the world today, you know, like somebody asked me the other day, what's wrong with the world? You know, and I, you know what they were thinking. They were thinking abortion. They were thinking of war. They were thinking of, of division and hatred and strife and political chaos and riots on the streets, you know, all this stuff happening in the world, the, the question, what's wrong with the world? Um, do you ever get to the point like, oh, oh my goodness, like I'm in my office and I'm studying the Trinity while the world seems to be falling apart. And do the two have any correlation at all? Does my, does, does my, desire to know and exalt the Trinity have any impact on the world around me? Yeah. Yeah. So my, my approach to theology, um, even though I have to sort of go and do it in an academic setting and publish some things that no one outside my little guild is <laughs> going to read, um, um, you know, that's technical work. Anybody's work has a technical side to it. I think that's only for other members of the guild. Um, but I do it as a, in service to the church, um, and towards the end of enriching Christian worship and, uh, Christian understanding of the Christian life. So that's, that's going to be relevant to all sorts of things that are going on. And in my, in my view, all sorts of social and cultural and, you know, interpersonal issues are what I would say, uh, downstream from that. Yeah. Um, so this is kind of a working on the doctrine of God. Then, because I specialize not just in any area of theology, there are more practical areas of theology, you know, the doctrine of humanity, things like that. But I've, I'm specializing in the doctrine of God itself, which is, uh, it can get pretty abstract. Um, but I would say it's upstream from all those other things, mm -hmm. which doesn't mean that anything I know in the doctrine of God will automatically flow downstream. Um, so I would say it's upstream, but not automatically Right. upstream. Yeah, you've got to, it does take effort. You could, for instance, really focus on knowing God theologically through scripture and really have blind spots in areas of justice 
um, or of, of church conduct or things like that, things you just have failed to pay attention to, things you have sinfully avoided paying attention to. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I say it's upstream, I don't mean like automatically everything downstream is taken care of in advance. No, all those all those areas also need attention. Yeah, but they do start with, uh, I mean, I think where I honored the, the work that you're doing and, and men like yourself that are digging deep into biblical truth, um, that, that it does sort of filter down into the church. That, and that's where I exist more in the church and in the mission world. And, and you know, it's, it's like, I was reading Romans 1 today, you know, where, where it talked about, you know, the, the power of God. Um, and then that has been revealed to us. And yet, then it began, then it labels all these problems in the world. You know, that, you know, my question, what's wrong with the world? Well, Romans 1, you know, uh, speaks of malice and strife and envy and hatred and murder. You know, I, I'm sure abortion and other things can be included in, in that list. It seems, you know, Paul has no uh, shame at all in saying it's a theological problem. Mm. And, I, and I think we, we tend to, you know, so, so I'll read books from theologians like yourself and, and I won't just say, you know, well, that really impacted my brain. Uh, for me, I think it really, it impacts how I'm going to, you know, world challenge missions that, that I'm involved in. You know, we do a lot of stuff on a street level and, and it comes from this Romans one thing and it comes from, you know, teachings like your own of the Trinity, you know, God is, and Paul, they're not ashamed to say, you know, this is a theological problem. You, this is, you don't know God is revealed. You're, you're, you, you're suppressing that truth. <clears throat> and so I want to encourage you to keep up the work you're doing because it, it does affect pastors and mm. missionaries like myself. And subsequently then <clears throat> people that are struggling with rioting on the streets or um, being incarcerated or being addicted to drugs, yeah. um, you know, the stuff that gets into our mind about who God is. Uh, I just was so excited this morning in my devotional time because it was like, this stuff sometimes can seem like ivory tower, uh, you know, uh, academics, but it, man, it really is. Uh, I think God says to us, this, this is, this is the stuff that changes the world. It's not, it's not getting in, you know, um, like fighting social problems socially is okay. Uh, you know, we will do some stuff that, you know, is first, you know, social change. But but it is a you know I certainly see it as you know it's a God issue. What what's wrong with the world for me? I say it's you know it's, it's missing God. <laughs> yeah. And so the more we talk God, the more we you know men like yourself begin to get on programs like this and say, here's here's how I'm learning to describe God. Hmm. Man, that just you know, on a grassroots level, I think that's gonna that, you know that's the stuff that changed the world. You know. Yeah. I, think, who I mean, in terms. Okay. In terms of work, uh, you know, I, I sit in a room by myself and do writing, theological, any scholarship and any writing is fairly isolated work. Yeah, so every now and then I'll get a nice note from somebody who's what I consider on the front lines of ministry and saying, here's how it helped. And I think, wow, that's that's the best note I could have got at the beginning of a writing day because, okay. you know, seven of my eight hours today are going to be kind of irrelevant to anyone's actual practical work. Yeah. Um, but I've got my eye on trying to help people on the front line and, you know, it will get out there. There really are two temptations. This is maybe partly autobiographical. You could, you, you can use books, even theology books, even, you know, even Bible books um, as escape. Um, you can go hide. I probably have early in my um, personal development, you know, as a kid, I probably hid out in books when life was chaotic. 
comic books back then, theology books now. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, but there's another temptation. This is sort of the escape into books, to my little kingdom of where I can read stuff and have some control. But the other temptation is, it's, it's kind of a midlife crisis temptation, right? Like, well, I picked this job and I'm doing it to the best of my ability. And now here I am a little later in life. And maybe I've just got this restless desire to feel like I'm making a more immediate difference. You know, after decades of training to be able to do a certain kind of work, to then get restless and go out and try to be an amateur or a dilettante at trying my hand at other things, that could also be a temptation. Yeah. Now, of course, there are good reasons both to burrow deep into the books and to go out and actually be involved in some ministry. Yeah. Um, but both of those could also just be my human restlessness yeah. uh, and my vice kind of driving me to not stay at the task that I've been called to. Yeah, well, that's that's uh, so those, those are important thoughts that you're mulling over for your own heart, and your own mind, and um, you know, you know but I, but again, just uh, you know, this is not in form of a note; it's in form of a conversation. The same notes that you get that keep you writing, you know. Let me encourage you in that because it, it is, it's 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 impacting my ministry. That's impacting. My, you know, we have about 40, 50 staff members. Um, I, I'm I'm echoing. You know, I'm stealing your stuff and telling them. On, <laughs> On my devotional time with them, we meet every Tuesday, and you know I've been talking about the Trinity. They, they're asking me, "Why are you talking about Trinity so much now?" You know, and, <laughs> and it's been it's been an encouragement. But I do think it is the stuff. You know, I, I I can't remember who was, you know, I don't know what they even called, you know, in the 1500s, who was the king of Germany or whatever, prime minister. Uh, but I know Martin Luther, you know, and uh, I, I know Calvin. I don't know who was king of uh, you know around the Geneva area at the time. You know, the, the things that seem important to us, the politics, they, they seem so pressing and so necessary that we get radically involved every day. And, uh, you know, you don't, you don't turn on Fox or CNN, hear discussions on theology, you know, you hear <laughs> discussions on politics. And so it, I think we tend to get to the place of thinking, well, that's the stuff that's important, you know, really making an impact on the world, not this stuff, not the Bible, not prayer, not knowing God, you know, and and Jeremiah 9, he talks about, you know, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom or a mighty man in his might or a strong man in his strength, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows me, hmm. uh, that I'm a God of loving kindness. And then begin to describe what kind of God it is. And you set your hand to that task. Please, please keep at it. And, you know, if God ever obviously directs you in uh, some other type of ministry, you know, obviously you have to obey. But, uh, uh, man, don't get discouraged because it's <laughs> it is it is a it, like Luther and Calvin and Wesley, you know, it's it's knowing the deep things of God, as your book says, is, is, is taking a, a good toll on the world around you. So uh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Any, uh, anything I missed not asking any, any last thoughts on, on the Holy spirit itself or. <laughs> no, I, I know, right. there's a lot there. It's a, it's a wonderful field uh, of biblical study. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, Fred Sanders has been with us for the last two weeks and really, um, if you didn't uh, catch last week's episode, I want to encourage you to go back to, to, to do that as well. This one, we spent more time on the Holy Spirit. Last time, we were talking about the Trinity a little bit more in general. So both are important. And you were with us uh, a month or so ago and had two other episodes. So uh, you're becoming fast, fast becoming a favorite among us here. And we're, we're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much, Fred. I appreciate you so much. It's good to be here. Good to see you, Gary. The Gary Wilkerson Podcast is brought to you by World Challenge, transforming lives through the message and mission of Jesus Christ. Each week, this podcast reaches thousands of listeners. 
This critical work is made possible by the generous contributions of individuals like you who believe in World Challenge's mission. Thank you for listening and supporting.